we're going to see how far we can get. I had wild notions covering 25 and 26 today. We'll see. Let's see how it goes. Okay, Acts chapter 25. Frank, can you turn the air down a little bit so it kicks on? Turn the air on? Just lower it. Oh, can you? Yeah, it's Okay. Sorry, it's as, <laughs> it's as cool as it gets right now. Okay, Acts chapter 25. We, we're again following Paul as the book of Acts is coming to its conclusion here. It's going to be absent of some of the dynamic things that we've seen previously in the interaction that Paul's had with people, uh, a lot of healings and those kinds of things, but it, it's not lacking in the content of the things that Paul is sharing. And even though now that we're in this place where Paul is basically under house of arrest, so to speak, he's going to be recounting his testimony again, as we'll see later on, and covering some of the things that he's covered. There are some different dynamics that are taking place that I think we're going to find interesting. But here in chapter 25, let's start at verse 1. It says, three days after arriving... In the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They urgently requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there if he has done anything wrong. Well, here's the changing of the guard. We saw that Felix last time was the governor and Felix has now been replaced by Festus. History tells us that the reason Felix was replaced is because he was just really bad. In Caesarea, he had allowed some rioting to take place and a lot of Jews were uh, murdered and just treated very badly. And so they said, you are not governing, you're not controlling this region, you're out of there. And so they took him out and they're replacing him with Festus. Festus comes now to this place and as he comes here into this meeting or this new uh, place of authority, the first thing he does is goes down to Jerusalem and he addresses them there, kind of let himself be known. Hey guys, I'm here. And wouldn't you know, the first thing that they do is talk about Paul. We need to get Paul taken care of. We know from the last chapter that two years had taken place between then and now, since Paul had been taken up to Caesarea in Herod's court under Felix. Two years had taken place. Now Festus comes in the scene. He goes to Jerusalem and they... The leaders say, we want Paul. We want to know about this guy. We want him down here so we can put him to trial. And it tells us the motive was to ambush him and kill him. Maybe it was that same 40 guys who weren't going to eat until they saw Paul killed. You know, maybe they were still waiting. You know, I'm, I'm sure they've eaten in two years. But there was still this focus on getting Paul. And... Boy, sometimes things just don't, we can't let go. 
And, you know, I look at these guys who are oppressed against Paul, and I wondered about myself if there are things that I hear about that I can't let go. I imagine when they heard the name Paul, that it sent them into a tizzy. Like, oh, that name Paul. Oh, that guy. And maybe there's a name that you hear that does that for you. Maybe there's someone who's hurt you, someone who you have some something against or they have something against you, whatever it is. And whenever you hear that name, it sparks that emotion. It just comes up within you and you think, oh man, that guy, that girl, she burned me. They, they did me wrong. And immediately your mind wants to take care of business. Well, that's what these people were at. And what a tragedy. Jesus said that we are to show mercy and that what measure we show mercy is what measure God is going to show mercy towards us. Which is a very sobering thought. With what measure you judge, that judgment is going to come towards you. And so think about those words of Jesus in regards to these religious leaders in Paul. When they said, well, you know what? With what measure you judge, that's what's going to be. They wanted to kill him. What measure is going to be measured towards them? With that attitude, with that hatred, with that animosity. And it's sobering to think about. And so here, as Paul is the subject again, Festus is wise enough to say, you know what? My first day on the job, you know, I'm here, and this guy comes up, and you want me to take care of this for you? I'll tell you what. We'll talk about this, but it's going to be in Caesarea. Send the leaders who you want to stand for, you know, make your, basically, you know, case against him. Send them up there. Now, we know this has already happened. This happened with Felix. Here it is happening again. And so he says, if he's done anything wrong, we'll talk about it then. Verse 6, it goes on, he says, after spending eight or ten days with them, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he, con he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul appeared, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go to, up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have, done, I have not done any wrong to the Jews as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar, you will go. Paul, once again, is brought before the same people. And, and the Jews, again, that was the region that Festus was ruling over. He wanted to make them happy, wanted to get in good with his people, so to speak, to, to make things good so that he would have kind of favor with them. 
He said, hey, Paul, you willing to go down there? Paul knows what's going on. He already knew about the trap to kill him once before. He knew what was going to happen there. And he says, no. Enough is enough. I've gone down. I've talked to them a number of times. It's not going to happen. I know where their minds are at. I know where their hearts are at. I've been in this prison for two years. Enough is enough. And he says, I appeal now to Caesar. Now, one of the reasons Paul is perhaps doing this is what he is going to do is take this new, what they called sect, Christianity, and make it something that Rome has to recognize. By going to Rome and going to Caesar, he's saying, you know what, we're not going away. You need to recognize us and acknowledge that we're legit. And so I appeal to Caesar, I have plans, I'm going to take this all the way to Rome. As a Roman citizen, this was his right. Festus couldn't do anything, he talked to his council, guys, what do you think? And he said, hey, what, what choice do we have? You know, he, he wants to go to Rome, he's a citizen, he has that right. If he feels that he's not getting justice, then he has the right. He goes, you want to go to Caesar? To Caesar, you will go. Now, what strikes me in these verses is the time that's been involved and Paul's finally saying no. Remember, Paul had wanted to go to Jerusalem. I wanted to speak to the Jews. He'd gone before them. They tried to kill him. He said, can I talk to them? He shared with them his testimony. He went before the Sanhedrin. He was constantly wanting to, to go to Jerusalem and to deal with the, the people there. And now, enough. Enough. And there's times in our life where we say, enough. Have you guys ever been there? Have you kind of, do you kind of relate to those times where you said, you know, I've put up and I've put up, and finally it's enough. I need to move on, and I need to get past this. And sometimes in our lives, we do need to move on. We need to say, enough is enough. I'm not going to deal with this anymore. I need to get out of this situation, and so... I'm going to take the next step. And that's a difficult thing sometimes. And again, we need to remember, Paul was there for two years. I've had enough in a week. You know, One week goes by and it's like, I've been dealing with this over and over and over again for one week now. Paul, it was two years. What is some of the fruit of, of the Spirit? It's patience. It's long-suffering. That's a result. But there comes a time when, okay, enough, let's move forward. And sometimes that's a difficult thing in our lives. Sometimes we have to tell people, I I've done what I can do, I need to move on. And it's a hard thing. Paul basically is saying, I'm not going back to Jerusalem, I'm moving forward. And I appeal to Caesar. And again, he's representing the church. He's representing the church. I'm going to take what it is I stand for to Rome so that Rome will recognize what it is that's taking place here and they will acknowledge Christianity. That could be what he had in mind. So, verse 13, we continue, Festus now has a visitor. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice. Notice and Bernice because that seems to happen after King Agrippa's name and Bernice. Now this is King Agrippa II. He is the son of King Agrippa I. Um, 
uh, King Agrippa the first we saw in chapter 12, who had James put to death, who took Peter in and then died. It was he was eaten with worms. His grandfather was uh, King Herod the Great, who had the children killed in near Bethlehem. Remember, Herod is a, a title, or Agrippa, like Herod, is a title. And so here, King Agrippa and Bernice. Now, Bernice is interesting. Remember uh, last chapter we talked about Drusilla, who was the wife of Felix? Well, King Agrippa II was Drusilla's brother, and Bernice was Drusilla's sister. Yeah. It was Agrippa and Bernice were stepbrother, stepsister. They weren't married, but they were living together. Bernice later on went and ran off with a, a commander named Titus, who actually laid waste to Jerusalem and then came back to Agrippa. She was not, she was not known, even in Roman times, for being a woman of morals. In fact, she was mocked in Rome when she went with Titus there and so left and went back to Agrippa. Now, if the Romans mock her for being an immoral woman and they didn't have many morals as it was, she's bad news. It was said that she was a beautiful woman, but she didn't have much moral standing. So that's King Agrippa and his stepsister, Bernice. Okay, Just to give you an idea of the context that Paul is in. You know, we say, things are so bad in our world today. Oh, I can't believe it. Well, here, the king is living with his sister-in-law, and that's the people reigning over you. Okay, so when we think things are really bad, it's been bad before. Okay, and maybe even worse. Anyway, they arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. King Agrippa really was kind of just a facade. He didn't really have anything that he was king over. He was kind of put in that position. But Festus is now governing this region. Let's go pay him a visit. Verse 14, since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he has been, before he has, excuse me, before he has faced he had opportunity to defend himself against their charges. When they came here with him, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus, who Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters, so I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. When Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar." And so basically he's recounting the case to Agrippa. Now, Agrippa is familiar with Jewish custom. He is half Jew, half Edomite. So he's very familiar, as was his brother, with the dealings with the Jews and their traditions. And that's no doubt one of the reasons that Festus is talking to him. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. He replied, tomorrow you will hear him. So Agrippa says, I'd like to hear this guy. 
He is curious. He wants to know, and it's making him feel important. You know, hey, I heard about this guy. You know, he's come here. He asked these things. What do we do? And he says, you know, up. Oh, time's up. <laughs> so he says, tomorrow I'll hear him. Now, Paul goes before Agrippa. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice, there it is again, came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man, the whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, that would be Nero, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write, for I think it unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charge against him. Now, you've got to get the picture. They go into the amphitheater here, Caesarea overlooking the Mediterranean. They're all, and their pomp means they're wearing, they're all royal robes. They're, they're looking pristine. They've got their guards there, King Agrippa and Bernice, you know, come there and they, pomp, you know, come in to take their seats and they're all sitting down and it's this big, you know, pomp and circumstance ceremony here. And then they bring in Paul. Paul, from what we know, is not much to look at. He wasn't someone, even as he talked in Corinthians, you know, his manner and his presence wasn't something notable. It's said that he was short, bald, had a hooked nose, and had weeping eyes because of a disease that he had with his eyes. Not much to look at, okay? So here's all these people in their big Roman garb, and here comes this little man who's turning the world upside down. I love that. Not because he's a little man. I, I love that because God takes the foolish things and brings to nothing the things that are wise, the, the weak things, and, and he, he make, wakes, wastes the things that are mighty. This one man, Paul, would have more influence than everyone else in this room. Amazing. Amazing. And what... What a great thought that is, how God takes those things that are weak and says, I find worth here. I am going to make this strong. And when God makes something strong, even though in our eyes it might seem feeble and it might seem weak, it is powerful. It's powerful indeed. And that's what we find here in Paul. And God's always doing this. Remember King David? They didn't even bring him in. Jesse brought all his other sons. Look at this one. Surely Samuel said, this one must be him. Oh, this one's me. No, God didn't say any of these. And he says, is there any other sons? Well, there's, you know, the, the runt, you know, the, the little guy, David. You know, he's, he's out there taking care of the sheep, but he's the, the little one. He said, bring him here. And that's the one. 
that God chose. And God told Samuel, you know, man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart. And that's exactly what's taking place. God is looking at the heart, and God sees that, says, that's what I can use, and he does indeed. He uses that. He uses Paul, this man who is weak in their eyes, but powerful in the hands of God. And so here they come with all this circumstance, and Festus is in a predicament, because Felix left him there for two years. Remember, Felix wanted a bribe from Paul. Said, hey, give me some money, maybe I'll let you go. Paul didn't go for it. And so Felix gets ushered out, and now he's in Festus's hands. You ever had someone leave a problem that you have to clean up? That's kind of what Paul is. Paul is now Festus's problem. If I send him to Rome, what am I going to say to them? This guy hasn't really done anything wrong, but here he is, and then Rome's going to say, why do you send this guy to us? Why didn't you take care of it? Well, he's in a predicament now, because what am I going to do with this guy? And so he presents the case to them. Then Agrippa said to Paul, 26 verse 1, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hands, or it might say saluted them, and basically he's giving them honor. He's recognizing them, you know, whatever kind of honor they might give. You know, he, he's saying, hey, I recognize your position of authority, which is a wise thing to do when you're talking about someone who's over you. You know, when you get pulled over by a policeman, you should recognize the authority. It's a wise thing to do. It's a foolish thing to do to start calling them names. You know, never do that with someone who has a gun. You know, that's just, that's foolish, period. But it's wise to show someone who has authority over you to show them respect. And we see Paul doing that, and he tells us to do that in Romans as well. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Again, he recognizes that Agrippa knows about these things. That's probably why he was intrigued about this man, Paul. He probably heard about him. He definitely had heard about Jesus. And so he wanted to hear what Paul had to say. Verse 4, the Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from beginning of my life in my own country, and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. In other words, it's because of what I believe in that was promised to by my fa our fathers. He, he's connecting this back to the Jews. And my belief in what they believe, again, he's giving his testimony here of what he was, what he believed in, and his hope is in who? It's in the Messiah. You see, Agrippa would know because of the hope of what God has promised our fathers. What is that? What is that hope that God has promised our fathers? It is the Messiah. It is Christ. I'm here because I believe in the hope. I believe in Jesus. That's why I'm here. I want you to understand why I'm here, the hope that was promised our fathers that I'm on trial today. 
This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Now that's a great question. Why would it be something that you would consider incredible that God raises the dead? If you believe in God, what's too difficult for him? Is there anything too difficult for God? You see, we have limitations. I have weaknesses. There, there's certain things I can't do. If, if I go to the gym, you know, I, I see some of these guys at the gym, you know, and they can't put their arms down. You know, they walk around like this. And, and they get there and they get the weights and they're, boom, and they're just, you know, and I'm like, wow, that's a, I couldn't do that. You know, if I were to get there, I, I'd be a dead man. You know, if I didn't have someone spotting me, it'd crush me, it'd kill me, and that'd be it. And you would expect that, you know, if you saw me. It's like, well, no big deal, but if you see one of these gargantua guys, you know, you expect them to be able to do that because that's what they do. They're, they're working out, they're developing those things. Me, I can't. That's not my ability. Well, in terms of God, what's too difficult for God? You see, if you believe Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything's downhill from there. Everything's a piece of cake. If God can create heaven and earth, what can't he do? What can't he do? Yes, he can restore. Yes, he can heal. Yes, he can deliver. He can do these things because he is God. Why do you consider it incredible if we talk about God raising the dead. Come on. And it's almost humbling to read Paul's words here. You know, it's like, he just believed it. He was, it, it captured his life. Why do you think it's an incredible thing that God would raise the dead? And here we have to try and defend that. Well, you know, I believe it again. Paul is like, that's a matter of fact. That's the simple stuff. Why do you think it incredible that God would raise the dead? In verse 9 he says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem on the authority of the chief priests. I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. Boy, I wonder if that haunted him still. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. He's talking about the length that he went to per persecute those, how he stood where they were standing. Again, similar things that he shared with them once before. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun, blazing around me, and 
my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. The goads were things they had put on a plow so that if the oxen would try and kick or, or the animal would try and kick against it, it would poke it so that it would stop kicking. And how do you kick against those spikes that would just poke at you? It's hard to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The Lord replied, Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness from sins and a place among those who are sacrificed by faith in me. What a powerful thing to do. What have you been called to do? To open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified. Excuse me, I said sacrifice sanctified by faith in me. That's what God commissioned Paul to do. That was his mission. And what a powerful mission it was. God appeared to me so that I could do this. God has revealed himself to us. I would submit to you that it's to do very much the same thing. It is to open the eyes to those turn them from darkness to light. God has revealed himself to us so that we can reveal him to others. To be a witness, to be an example of him. Even as Paul was, we need to be that same example and witness to people as well. Verse 19 goes on, he says, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and to the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Paul once again presents his, his case to the King Agrippa. Now, as he goes back over the things that have taken place and why he is there, he presents to the king that God told him to go not only to the children of Israel, but also to the Gentiles. Remember what happened in Jerusalem when he said that. They wanted to kill him. They said, the Gentiles, and they said, this man's not worthy to live. They wanted to kill him. Here, he can say that. The Jews aren't rioting like they were there. Why? Because there's Gentiles present. You got all the Romans there, and who's going to say, yeah, you guys don't deserve it. You see, now, this is very appealing to the Gentiles, that the God of the Jews has sent this man to us. 
But Paul doesn't sugarcoat anything. He, he doesn't soften the message. He doesn't try and appease these people. He tells them what God told him to do. He tells them that they should repent. It says in verse 19, or verse 20, First to Judea and all the Gentiles also preach that they should repent and turn to God. Repent is to change your direction. It means to change your mind. Change what you're thinking and think in another way. Repentance is change your mind. Regeneration is to change your, your spirit, your being. God told them that you need to change the way you're going. You need to turn around. He doesn't tell them anything less. And he says to prove their repentance by their deeds. This goes along with what James says. You have faith. I have works. Show me your faith. I will show you my faith by the things that I do, by my works. Paul is saying the same thing. A lot of people say, well, Paul and James contradict. No, Paul is basically saying, you need to show what you've changed by living different. It only makes sense. If you change your mind about something and you think different and you live different, it'll be evident. That's what repentance is. You know, have you repented of whatever it was you were doing? Well, if you're still doing it, no. If you're still involved in that lifestyle that you were living in, then you haven't changed. You haven't repented of it. Paul is saying, God has called me to have people repent. Now remember who he's standing before. Agrippa, who's living with Bernice. Agrippa knows that's not right. He knows that ain't right. Paul knows Agrippa's situation, I'm sure. Heck, if I know it, I'm sure Paul knows it. <laughs> so Paul is there before Agrippa and Bernice, and he says, God has called us to change the way we think. And he's reaching out to people so that they can prove that they've changed their lives by changing their deeds, changing their lives and the things that they do. And that's why I am here, because I believe that God has called me to do this. I believed in these things because he has sent his Christ, who's risen from the dead, and that's the whole purpose, that in Christ, verse 23, would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his people and to the Gentiles. The Messiah has come. He suffered according to the scriptures. He has risen from the dead, and he's brought this light, forgiveness of sins, to the Jews and to the Gentiles. He presents his case, and in verse 24, at this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. Not the response you would want, is it? You know, I, I was hoping that, wow, let me think about that. Nope, that's not the case, he guessed. Now, this is interesting what happens, because Festus jumps in and says, you're nuts. You're out of your mind. All you're learning. I know you're an educated person, but you've gone insane. But notice who Paul responds to. I am not insane, most excellent Festus. 
Paul replied, What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things. Notice where his, his attention shifts. Festus, okay, you're not listening, but you, King Agrippa, you know. And I think it's interesting because even though Festus is the one who addressed him about this, Paul immediately takes his response and starts talking to the one who's listening. Wise for us to think about and do those things. If, someone, if you're ever talking to a few people and you can tell someone's not interested, maybe they're mocking, they're you know, making fun of you, oh yeah, you know, holy roller, oh, whatever they're, holy Joe, you know, or... That might say that to Joe, you know, but whatever they're saying to you, they're, they're talking to you about these things. Then this one person starts mocking, but you see that the other person, they're attentive. Don't focus on the one who's mocking. Focus on the one who's interested. Jesus said, don't cast your pearl before swine. If someone is interested in listening, talk to the one who's interested. The one who's mocking, don't spend time trying to bait someone who's not interested when you have someone who's interested. And that's really what we see Paul doing here. He says, what I am saying is true and reasonable. Verse 26, the king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. Why? Because he knows what I'm talking about. You, you don't have a clue, Festus. You, you haven't been educated in these things. You think it doesn't make sense to you, but the king Agrippa knows who I'm speaking to here. I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. What does he mean by that? What wasn't done in a corner? Well, Jesus, his death, his resurrection, it wasn't done in a corner. Everyone knew about it. No doubt Agrippa was familiar with these things. He was in the area, he was familiar with the customs of the Jews. He knew about this person, Jesus. He was seen, Jesus was seen by more than 500 to have risen from the dead. This isn't a secret. This is something that is spreading like wildfire throughout both Jerusalem and the Roman world. So you know about this. This isn't some secret. I'm not telling you something new. You know about this. And, and Try and capture, again, the picture and the passion with which Paul is talking here. Imagine this elaborate setup, this trial, this tribunal that it's there, and this one man there and talking to this king, Agrippa. He says, you know what I'm saying. And notice the force with which Paul is talking about. To who? He's not, he's not some mealy, squeaky mouse kind of a guy. He's talking with power. He's talking with authority. And again, it's a powerful thing. You know, this wasn't done in a corner. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Wow. I know you believe. King Agrippa, I, how did he know? He's had familiarity with who King Agrippa is. I know you believe him. Notice King Agrippa's response, verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. I love that. 
Ah, oh, that's just beautiful. I don't care if it's now, I don't care if it's later, but I pray that you and everyone who hears my voice, Festus, that includes you, could be like I am. Like, remember the picture here with all these people in their robes and their, you know, nice gowns. And the little man, Paul, I wish you guys could be like me, except for these chains. What a picture. You got to think, what are these people thinking? Oh my gosh, who does this guy think he is? How does he want us to be like him? You're, you're in prison. You're, you're a small guy. You're this. No, you don't know what I have. And you see, when you possess something that's great, you don't need to prove it. You possess it. You don't need to flaunt it. It's yours belongs to you. That's what Paul has. I have the living God residing in me. I've seen God work in my life and through me ways that you cannot imagine. People being healed. Miraculous things that have been done. And God has been with me to this day. He's delivered me. He's kept me. Remember the 40 men who wanted to kill him and Paul escaped with what, 270 Roman guards? You have no idea how God is with me. I wish you guys were like I am, except for these chains. And then notice verse 30. Then the king arose, and with him the governor and who? Bernice. You know, why wouldn't Agrippa turn? Why wouldn't he change? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't he finally say, you know what, Paul? I know and I can see this is the truth. But you see, Agrippa was, he couldn't let go of some baggage. Bernice. He, he just couldn't let go. Some things have hold of people that they just cannot let go of. I remember one time, some friends of mine and I were out and we were sharing with people. We used to go out late at night and try and find parties because at every party you'd find someone who's been hurt, someone who's got jolted, someone who's got abandoned. And it never fails. You go to a party and there's a broken heart there somewhere. And so we'd go as a group. You know, it wasn't just one guy. I'm going to go to a party and witness. You know, we'd go as a group and we'd find some people and we'd share. And we went to a 7-Eleven, and we were all, you know feeling pretty bold and, you know, got a pack of guys together and we're sharing our faith. And we started sharing with the guy at 7-Eleven. It's like 2.30 in the morning or something like that. I know, you shouldn't stay out that late, but we were. And we were talking to this guy and we got into a real deep conversation just about life and about these things. And as we were talking with him, he said, you know what? I would accept the Lord. Because we asked him, why won't you receive Christ now? And he said, I would, but I cheat on my taxes. I have a lot of things that I do under the table, and I know that if I became a Christian, I couldn't do that anymore. And, and thinking about that, I'm like, oh my gosh. Do you think it incredible that God could raise someone from the dead? You don't think he can take care of your taxes, your money issues? 
or whatever your hang-ups are, whatever the things are that you hold on to, you don't think God can deal with those things? But some people, they put those things and they just cannot let them go. Whatever it was, if it was Bernice or not, Agrippa couldn't let go. And so he got up and he left. King Agrippa rose with the governor and Bernice, and those sitting with them, they left the room, and while talking with one another, they said, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. In other words, Festus, you blew it. You could have let this guy go, but he's appealed to Caesar now. He, he should have been free. But now you've got to send him to Caesar. But he's done nothing. You know, remember Festus was going to Agrippa, help me find something wrong with this guy that we can send over to Caesar that he could say, yeah, this is the problem we're having. He goes, there's nothing. And you just wonder what was going on in Agrippa's mind. As Paul said, I wish you were like me except for these chains. You know what I'm saying is true. You know it's true. It's not been done in a corner. It's obvious. You look at a person's life who's been changed by Jesus. And how do you deny the power of God to do something good? You can't. Oh, that Christianity, that's stupid. Why, why are you... Look what it's done in this person's life. What has it done in your life? Has it changed you? Have you been able to turn and your deeds are now showing something good that are an evidence of God at work. And if someone could look at your life, and I know some of your stories and how God has changed and is changing your lives, and I think, what a powerful witness. What a powerful example. We have a house full of people who've been changed by the living God, who are examples of what God can do. You think it incredible that God can raise someone from the dead? That's nothing. Look what he's doing in our lives. Look how he's changing us. Look what he's at work in us. What are you worrying about? Would you believe? Why not? And might we be as bold as Paul? Might we recognize what we have? That kings should envy what we have hold of. Jesus said... Prophets and kings have longed to see what you see. We have the Messiah. We have the one who's conquered death. We have hope that goes beyond the grave. We have life eternal. Our names are written in the book of life. If we are going to move forward, let's move forward with this confidence. Boy, you could never tell by the things that Paul shared here that he was a frustrated man, that he was in prison for two years and just, I just want to get out. This guy was still on a mission. Everyone who he talked to, he presented these things. Might we be the same way? Might we take this good news that has captured us and might we unleash it on those around us? Amen. Let's pray. Danny, why don't you come up? Father, we thank you for being so faithful, so good, so great. And Lord, I, I pray that we would continue to allow our lives to resonate the truth of who you are. Lord, that you are the promised one. That you have come, 
that you died for our sin and that you've risen again and we have hope in you. Father, I pray that you would empower us to be as bold as Paul was as he stood before kings and it, Jesus, you said that this would happen. That when they would take your disciples and stand them before governors and kings that your spirit would give them the words to say and boy, we just, it resonates of your spirit here, these things that Paul is saying. It is so ordained by you, so powerful that we could almost sense Agrippa just right there on the fence deciding what to do. Lord, give us that boldness, give us that power that we might represent you well. We do love you, Lord, and thank you again for this time and ask you to be honored within our lives. And We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's have another song and just celebrate who God is as we've talked about him, as we've shared these things. Let's worship him.